Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 79. This episode Andrew talks to Russ and Sherwin about the model design seminars that were held at SteamCon and how the Entertainers Guild concept models were sculpted. Listener is Colin Lewis. Hello, welcome to Singled Out, episode 79. I'm Andrew, and with me is Jason. Nope. Um, what's with me is Sherwin. All right. How are you? I'm at least reasonable. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And also, how about Jason? How's he doing? Jason, how are you? Okay. And also, here's Russ. Hello. Um, so, just in case people don't know who, you, who both of you are, uh, because probably at this point, unlikely, given I've heard that Russ and Sherwin recently have on other podcasts, you husses. Um, <laughs> quite special. Um, so, Russ, who are you? Hi, I'm the lead sculptor for um, Steamforge Games, and I'm the principal sculptor for most of the Guild Ball miniatures to date. And Sherwin? So I am the lead writer for Steamforge Games, also a games developer, uh, and I am responsible for killing every single one of your favourite characters in Season 4. If after the episode um, drops, could you say who, can everyone who listens say who their favourite character is, so sure we can then kill them? Uh, drop it, yeah, please like, share, subscribe, drop in the comments, <laughs> and uh, we'll go from there. Scrolling down our episodes, um, I'll ask talk to you both together on December 7th, so almost exactly a year ago today. Goodness it's gracious also, me. It's also worth pointing out that you are, I believe, the only person who, or the only podcast who's ever had us both on the same recording. That's definitely true. Only we can contain both of you once. Well, it's because obviously we, you know, we've lost Jason. Um, so, yeah, now we have to have three on this podcast because that's how it works, right? Exactly Technically, right. you were on the Roll Better interview that I did for about thirty seconds, but that was only because you were walking past. Oh, because I bum rushed it. That's right. I remember. I think we're. All, I think we're all on that podcast somewhere because you can hear us in the background, probably. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes, we gave those catering ladies their fifteen minute of fame as well. Yeah. So, um, at SteamCon, Sherwin, you took a team, didn't you, uh, at the quest of the fans? I did. They were undefeated as well. They were a lot of fun. It was the order, wasn't it, you took? 
I did. I took the Supreme Order of Solthesius. How many times did you play them? How many times did I play them? Uh, I think five times over the course of the weekend. Undefeated. I was very busy with seminars and things. That's pretty good. Undefeated. Well, here's the here's the hint. Order are really good. It's just that no one seems to play them. Did you have a certain six that you used? Uh, yeah. So I used uh, Brisky Poo, Pride. Uh, who else missed? Fangers, Spiggly Buff. Uh, and the last one is Big Bad Benny. So I really like the idea of Harry. Uh, I like Singled Out, and the hat is super awesome, but also I found him to be a bit of a trap, and I really want a buddy to push people around with Big Bad Benny, or sorry, with Fangers, so I take Benediction instead. Grace is another awesome choice if you want to speed up the pitch, but most of the time with my <coughs> order, I generally tend to kick. If you ever get the choice, I'll kick the ball, uh, which generally tends to mean that I don't need a speed buff on the first turn because I'm already halfway up the pitch. So, so you kick the ball with brisket, do you? Missed. Missed. With missed, of course, and then threaten the ball back straight away. So typically I'll uh, kick the ball off and missed, uh, score a goal straight away with brisket, and then missed will get a goal in the third activation, and then at some point I'll just get another goal or beat someone to death with fang tooth. Pretty literally, probably. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, and Russ, how have your uh, gaming? Did you play any games at all at SteamCon? Any any Guild Ball or God Tier or anything? Or I did not play Guild Ball, despite having brought all three of my painted teams with me. Um, what I did do was play uh, a lot of our... Um, I played a lot of Dark Souls-related games. I played both the board game and the card game. Um, and uh, I was all lined up to have some serious um, God Tier action on the Sunday uh, with uh, Mighty Mighty Leader of Development, Steve. Uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, due to a family emergency, I was pulled away very early. So uh, I missed out on a, on a lot of the things I'd intended to do. I'd had Sunday slated as my day of gaming, and it all kind of fell apart a bit. However, um, to everyone who took part in the epic four-player Dark Souls card game madness that was um, Saturday night, uh, I salute you if you are listening. That's we had an absolute riot. It's amazing. It's really um, good. Yeah, it's really good. Like, like straight up Sherwin, because uh, here's the thing, right? Um, we don't, we as staff members, we don't get access to this stuff until everyone else in in the world that wanted a copy has got one. So I only had a chance to play it and get a copy properly at SteamCon. Really? Sherwin, yeah. Huh. Sherwin was very kind enough to walk me through, uh, me and Tom, a uh, uh, fellow sculptor, uh, Sherman walked us through a game, even though we were both tired, I was slightly drunk, and we were entirely hopeless. Um, and uh, we had a riot, and so I picked up a copy and we played it the following night. And also, I got the brilliant experience of having Sherwin uh, lead our incompetent asses through um, Resident Evil on the Friday, <laughs> uh, the Thursday night, where uh, I fired my, I, I emptied my weapon twice and hit one zombie once because my dice rolling was so abysmal the spectacular part about that was having to teach tom um every single turn what the rules were again it's <laughs> yes. not a complicated game no, rules, guys, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, every single turn i'm kind of okay tom what do you want to do and like, i don't know let's talk about the options it basically tripled the length of the game it was quite impressive but there we are i assume only hitting once is quite a bad thing for that game it's not great it's <laughs> not great <laughs> <laughs> It's funny how the Dark Souls card game really captures the feel of Dark Souls so well. Being a bit more abstract as well, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a great little game. Well, that's no, one of the things we always try to do with design is always you... Let's, let's use the proper words. We extract the core DNA from what the, from what the license is and then kind of use that to rebuild a board or card game. There you go. 
big corporate. <laughs> I've, I've just listened to Matt in enough interviews that I know exactly how to say it. <laughs> At the risk of talking myself out of a job, I'm very excited for uh, you know uh, more card game related design work based on the strength of, of the Dark Souls stuff that I've mm. played so far. I'm I'm super excited to see us do more of that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, like more card games. Oh wait, hang on. <laughs> um, yeah, so looking talking about sculpting, um, I've got both of you on uh, because at SteamCon US and SteamCon UK, uh, both of you were involved in uh, model design seminar stuff. We uh, were, and both of you were involved in started the craft the, the sort of first seeds of the Entertainers Guild, which obviously, as far as I'm aware, is still very much work in progress. Mm. Yes. Um, and I always find model design interesting, and I find it interesting how you can get a group of people and kind of shepherd them towards an idea, or how people come up with ideas that you like or don't like or whatever. And I thought from that we could try and make a podcast out of it. And if not, I'll just delete it. Fantastic. Sure. Sounds good. Uh, so if, if I could just uh, throw down some context before we get started, um, uh, Sherwin may or may not agree with this, but I take the view that with each of our designer model kind of seminars that we've done for the last three years, we've taken a slightly different approach. So year one, we had a guild that people knew about, but had no like locked players for in the, uh, so, you know, we designed a character who was ostensibly a mortician, but became a rat catcher in the form of Skulk with year two, we were taking an existing character and putting a fresh spin on that with honor um, I'm talking obviously about the UK, um, and we did a similar thing in America year two. And then this year was about starting to explore a completely new space for a completely new guild. So we've, we've tried to make the experience something fresh each time because, you know, we don't want to repeat ourselves. So the Entertainers Guild concept, um, in sort of broad terms, do, uh, one of you want to talk about that their sort of idea or whether no, I think sh- that's yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe that sounds like to do with the seminars while you had on it as well. Background. Yeah, that sounds that sounds a little bit of um, of a question for me. So yeah, it's so the one thing that we really wanted to avoid with the Entertainers Guild, and it's always worth pointing out at this stage. You know, they are high concept level. Uh, one of the things we really wanted to do, I'll just I'll just piggyback on Russ, what Russ said a little bit, is when we did season one, we when we did this design and model seminar in season one, we sort of sat down and went, you know what, we just can design a player, and we said, you know, what's a new, you know, let's let's pick a guild, let's you know, come up with a completely random idea about what this player is going to be, feedback from the community, just build this thing completely, sort of almost crowdsourced, almost from the actual room itself upwards, and one of the things even we got to before the end of that seminar was kind of all scratching our heads, going. How does this player fit in? Like we knew we had a rat catcher, we knew we was called Skulk, we knew how the character player was going to look. We didn't have this great idea of well, how does this fit into the world of Guildpool? Is this a new guild? Is this you know is this an ally for somebody? We talked about a mortician, we talked about him being a union player, loads of different ideas were floating around. We weren't really sure what to do. And the crucial point were there we had was well. Yeah, next time around, let's be a bit more focused. So that's exactly why we had the second year. We kind of went, you know what, let's make a veteran version of a player. And that was designed to be a little bit more sort of, you know, sort of that way we wouldn't have to worry about kind of, you know, these all these guilds coming out of anywhere. Because obviously off the back of Skulk was really the first time we started talking behind the scenes about ideas about what minor <laughs> guilds would become. But when we got to, we didn't really want to interfere with that sort of schedule when it came to design, uh, design a model in the year two. Now for year three, we thought it'd be super cool Jamie Perkins and I, we had a quick chat about what we were going to do at SteamCon US, and we thought it would be awesome if we basically gave people a high-level concept pitch and basically went back to almost the roots of things and said, so this is what we're doing, rather than taking a player where we say, 
we're making a veteran. We're going to take the high-level concept stuff because that's exactly where the entertainers live right now. And at that point, we're just going to sort of involve you in the process and sort of you know start talking about some of the ideas and how it all works. Um, so the entertainers, the entertainers are they're going to be the minor guild for the brewers. Um, I mean, most of your listeners will know this anyway, I suspect, from Steam Cons and so on. Oh, but yeah. just a brief recap. The idea is they're a very different sort of approach to how a team would work in the, in the game of Guild Ball. So they are a guild where, for them, what they're doing is telling a story on the pitch rather than running around and trying to play a sport, or primarily or mainly just trying to play the actual game itself. They're really trying to compete with Guild Ball itself as they play it and kind of get the crowds to appreciate them as performers as much as that and, the, and as much as they are sportsmen or women and also, also tell the tale of what they're doing. So we have a captain who's like a narrator sort of telling a fable or a legend and all of the characters within that sort of story really are made up of the squaddies who are kind of portraying one of the great legends. And of course in the Empire of the Three Cities, the legends and the villains of the piece are they are kind of honor they are rage or um ox shark any of those players they all kind of fit into that template because those are the sort of you know that's the myth that's the legends that we have are they quite a new guild or an old guild so they're an older guild which well they're a new guild as such but they're created of lots of smaller might lots of small sort of you know um very very tiny guilds which have been amalgamated into one much larger body so effectively, the actual entertainers guild itself as an entity is very new, but the idea of you know, or lots of the little guilds like the the mimes guild, the fools guild, the actors guild, the thespians guild, they've been all around for a very very long time. They're just now united under one banner. So they've formed kind of a larger sort of union, as it were. Now, yeah, that's exactly the way to look at it. So um, when it came to the first sort of um, design seminar in the um, US Steamcon, I mean, obviously we know the outcome from that, but um, how did it go? I mean, that was pretty cool. That was really that was really interesting. I, I, what was most telling about that is, to, I, to be fair to the guys in the US, at that stage they didn't know the Entertainers Guild was a thing whatsoever. So they got from us a very, very, very uh, obscure brief of, "Hey, so we're making a player today who's based on another cat, one of these three cat. Oh, sorry, one of these, I think, six captains we gave them the choice from. So it's based on one of these six players, um, and it's it's someone pretending to be that player. Go from there." And, you know, it's kind of lots of scratching of heads and what are we doing exactly? And we kind of had to sort of talk about how we're honing in on different ideas, you know, whether that's the appearance, a particular, you know, way they play or a particular character trait or, um, you know, a legendary play maybe or something along those lines, whether it's thematic or their clothing, their play style. There's loads of different things we could hone in on. And we had lots of fun ideas, but ultimately the Americans, they really smashed it out of the park because they not only sort of took a very vague concept, but actually made exactly what we wanted, which was something based you know it, it fits itself very nicely into this idea of what this guild could potentially be i mean obviously we know that for example kid blackheart which was the name we coined during the seminar that's not going to stay around i imagine that player becomes the tyrant in inverted commas for example because that's the role they're playing they don't the importance isn't necessarily the actor the role the, the importance of what the actual entertainers guild squaddy is is the um you know is the character they're portraying so kind of what they Embody, isn't it really? Uh, what thematically they embody? Yeah. Yeah. So you could envision that Blackheart would be, you know, known as the as the tyrant. He's he's very much the you know this. He's not even an anti-hero. He's just the villain of the piece. Um, so 
that's kind of what they're playing up to. That's what they're really working towards. That would be a character who, you know, would terrorize everybody else, would be someone who, you know, if the, if the tyrant appears on the thing, gets booed, pelted, you know, with, you know, vegetables or whatever, that sort of stuff. No one in the crowd is going to want to see that character because they're definitely not a hero. Of course, by comparison in the UK where we created Shark, um, you know, that's a much more charismatic, almost rogue kind of template that you'd imagine that would fit in onto the stage. <coughs> You know, we'd have this very dashing kind of figure appear, cheers from the crowd, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, Russ, when it came to sculpting it, mm. I guess obviously you have a very limited time window to sculpt anything um, at a convention, and obviously these things change, and may will change quite a lot over the next, I don't know, X months until it gets produced, maybe years until it gets produced. Um, I guess you're looking for sort of visual key point parts of Blackheart to sort of copy across, or... Uh, sorry, um, I, I, I'll talk about Shark rather than Blackheart because it wasn't me that did the Blackheart. Oh, was it not? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, the Blackheart scope was done by by my brother, who um, was who who went to Steamcon USA this year. Well, I've heard you talk um, about anyway. So, yes, um, you know, it's it's who wears, ever's wearing the hat, really. <laughs> it's a bit like Harry. Yeah. It's the power. It's it? very very Harry the Hat esque. Um, but yeah, so so um, with Kid Blackheart. Like my my second hand information from talking to Ben was, um, he basically looked at he had the original Blackheart sculpt all the way back from the Kickstarter, and he just went into there looking for key design elements he could carry straight across, which is one of the joys of working digitally um, in terms of asset sharing, and then design elements he could parody, and then design elements he could make up from the whole cloth. So you've got a combination of. Uh, Blackheart's actual, although very, very much too big, sword is on that sculpt. Um, Coin is on there, but it's a sock puppet. And then there is a like a theatre mask version of Blackheart's face um, that the, the kid is wearing to uh, sort of express himself. And that was one of the things that we talked about, because with any guild visually, you're looking for a couple or three distinct visual hooks that you can hang stuff off. I mean... You know, Sherwin and I over the years have had lots of discussions about what makes a model a butcher as opposed to a brewer or, or or a member of the union. You know, all of these things are based on specific design uh, elements. And so it's a case of making sure that we're carrying enough of those into the new figures that you get a sense of who it is they're being, but they've still got to have a distinct um persona and and identity of their own um so it, it's a really interesting design challenge um so when it came to working on on the shark model that um that we designed with the uk it was a similar thing going into it it was hearing what people's ideas were um sherwin led a very um productive sort of high level design side of it and then that would enable me to to pull some of those ideas out and start to develop the sculpt, as you say, within some pretty extreme time constraints um, to give people context in case they don't know. We normally devote about two to three days for a Guild Ball character, and I think we had four hours-ish. Um, <laughs> so it, it's extremely compressed. So what you're seeing is no way the finished article. It's, uh, it's, it's what we can achieve in the time we've got, and there's a lot of fairly... Um, uh, fairly interesting shortcuts and, and borrowing from other models to sort of make that kind of thing happen. What's like copying cross faces or, or objects or things? Just as, yeah, as place yeah absolutely. Placeholders, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's funnily enough, not to digress too much, but it's very similar to what we did when it was uh, Union in Chains. 
um, if you recall, the miniatures that eventually won the Union in Chains, um, I went through and re-sculpted all of them, because if you look from, at from the... From scratch, or did you change the model a bit, or did you just start from start? Uh, not yeah. entirely from scratch, but if you go and look at the Union Chains, um, like our placeholder versions, where you have the AB choices, and we'd have, like, uh, Gutter, you know, we have Butcher and Fish Gutter, all of their kit is borrowed from other players, because you know, we didn't have time to make 12 players, six of which might never see the pitch. So I made effectively mock-up versions, which looked, you know, looked great. But, you know, you can go and see that Gutter's wearing, you know, a bit of kit from Angel and a bit of kit from Sakana. And then when we actually knew who'd won, I would go back through and replace all of those elements with actually custom sculpted unique elements that keep the same theme but you then end up with a unique figure so that's an example of how we can we can borrow assets to get us to a point and then when the model gets the then the extra time we have to refine the model i can then go in and change those shared assets into something unique actually can i diverge again for that a little bit um i've recently been painting up some of the resin morts um mm-hmm. i didn't paint up the metal ones that long ago really and i had them top aside and did, when you did some of the resin morts, did you literally get the metal mort model and just sort of move it around like a doll, you know what I mean, to reposition it, or did you actually redo it from scratch? Because it's obviously the same. Some of them are very similar models, but kind of... Uh, yeah, so... My casket, for example, is really, really, really similar, but different pose almost, does that make sense? Yeah, so it's not quite as simple as that, because um, there are kind of... Uh, the, the, I don't want to get too technical, because um, it's not very interesting. I'm sure everyone would understand it, they just wouldn't be very interested. But there are certain points of no return when you're sculpting, after which a thing is locked. So when it comes to doing a repose or a re-sculpt, and I've talked about this when we've done veteran players, you know, I actually want to carry elements across from the original miniature because it, it makes sense to me that you'd keep the same faces and you keep certain things because you know as you go through life you don't suddenly like completely change your physical appearance from from one end to the other um but uh so usually what what you're doing there is you're creating a new core sculpt a new kind of maquette if you like of, of the character and then you're you're effectively dressing it with as many parts from the old version as you can to keep the consistency and then you create new parts as needed. So using casket as an example, he's got very distinctive hand poses. He's got a very distinctive face. So those elements were taken from the original model uh, as was the casket, because obviously it's a very distinctive thing, but then a lot of the other elements and all of his underlying anatomy was recreated. And that's a project that was shared amongst several of us because, um, you know, we're spreading the guild ball workload uh, amongst the sculpting team more and more these days. And uh, when you're doing reposes, that's something you can do because people remember things like the character's face as being very distinctive. But if we're taking the head from an old model, it, it, it kind of makes it easier for someone else to imitate the correct style because that distinctive element is being carried across anyway. And honestly, it kind of doesn't matter who sculpts a boot. It's going to look like a boot. It must be a bit strange, though, if you're having a, someone else repose the model that you've sculpted. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe you do so many models you don't mind so much. But um, People assume that, but um, the honest truth is uh, that the sculpt team works really well together, and we're on Discord all day, and we're chatting, we're sharing ideas, and we're, it's such a collaborative process that um, I'm very comfortable that they're, that they're going to deliver what I need, and if there's something is slightly off, we can correct really quickly. We can course-correct that. 
And it's the same thing that people say to me, like, you know, are you ever kind of conflicted if you see someone's painted or assembled one of your miniatures badly? I mean, I have pride in producing the models, but I don't feel protective. I don't feel I have ownership of them because that's not the gig. That's not the deal. I am not making these things for myself. They are, I do a job that I'm proud of, but these are not my miniatures. They belong to the players and they belong to the community and they belong to everyone who picks up a, a model. And so because of that, I am more than content to to put them out there and, and let them give, you know, do what they're meant to do, which is give people joy when they get them and get to play with them and get to mess around with them. And and that's fine. So, no, I don't. It doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't bother me that other people are working on them because we're all working towards the same goal. You're one big family together. That's quite nice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it turns out that friendship was the real magic all along. <laughs> So, um, Sherwin, um, at the seminar that um, obviously you're at, and so was I, um, on the Saturday of Steam, of Steam Con, was it Saturday? I think it was. Many, many seminars, could be any day. <laughs> yeah, I think, it was, I think it was Saturday. I'm going to say it was anyway with authority. It yeah, sure, been, let's go with that. It must have been, let's because, go with because that. Because schools did the same day. Um, you gave us a list of uh, models to choose from, didn't you? So mm. we could choose basically from, was it four choices we had? So no tapper, uh, no honour. So your choices were, you. we, we kept honour apart um, simply because you guys did honour last year. So it seemed unnecessary to give you, you know, you didn't want to do honour twice. Um, we had Shark, Fox, <coughs> Obelboss, Midas, Ballista, because tapper and honour were excluded, and so was Blackheart. So yeah, that's five. That's the five. Did you have a one that you wanted to go for? Did you have a favourite? No, not at all. I'm actually really pleased. Shark, I, I, I really pleased with a gender swap shark. I thought that was a really mm-hmm. fun and obvious one to do, uh, which I liked. Um, it would have been fun to see what we could have done with Ox. I mean, there were some, great, idea, there was some great ideas in the room uh, for Ox. There was, there, was two, there was two interesting approaches to Ox. The first one came up with like this very much... Uh, focusing on like the the boogeyman kind of element of him, like yeah. the hatchet man, the butcher's is going to come and get you kind of thing, yeah. which is quite fun. Cool. And then obviously the other one to go with Ox is this sort of world weary kind of soldier veteran type, which is obviously definitely what. Ha- and it's interesting because Ox fits both of those particular character archetypes depending on where he is in our storyline. So I, I quite like both of them for obvious reasons. So um, yeah, I, I think I think those would have been fun. But to be honest, there were lots of interesting ideas in the room. Mm. I didn't really have any preference whatsoever going in. I knew that the community was going to come up with something awesome. I think the dangerous case was because people were having characters dressed as other characters. I think the danger was going too far into comedy and parody. Well, we did have a massive, we did have a, a very sensible and quite frank conversation at both steam cons, uh, with regards to that, which is, and I'm going to broach the subject, which <laughs> is not popular here, but mm. the thing that sucked the most about last year's steam con, um, was that as a result of one of the seminars, a model did not get made. And speaking fairly candidly about it, the the real shame of that is because the people in the room didn't respect the process for what it was. And I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm not trying to kind of suggest that anyone did anything wrong. Or I, I'm not trying to be really negative with that. What I'm trying to sort of explain is the thing that really was bad about that, the thing that was a real shame in my eyes, and I'm pretty sure in the eyes of a lot of other people I work with, is because that process wasn't really adhered to or followed correctly or basically we didn't have a model we couldn't use 
and that sucks because obviously the best thing about a, the designer model seminar is that this model was actually and gets to be in the game is actually a thing. We really get a kick out of doing that because obviously we love to interact with the community. The community really loves to get to see the thing that they've created that comes up. I know when you know, Shark and Blackheart hit the pitch, obviously inverted comms, both of those, you guys are going to love those models and you know, love the idea that you created that and you put that in there. And I know that Honor, for example, has the same sort of reaction with the farmer players. They love Honor. And it's just such a shame that we didn't get to do uh, the other model. And the simple reason for that is is because because of the, the way that it was kind of the direction the seminar went, despite our best efforts, there was this focus on, you know, well, we're just going to have some fun with this and create a really sort of silly concept that doesn't really fit whatsoever into the world. And unfortunately, the result of that was so far removed from where it should be, where it, should, where it needed to be, it just didn't really work. And and again, the real shame there is that, speaking candidly, is that we didn't get to make a model. Um, it sucks. We tried for a very long time to try and work out the best way of putting that in there. And ultimately, we kept on coming to the conclusion of, well, the core essence of the original model just isn't here whatsoever for this. We basically yeah. made we basically managed to come up with a veteran version of a model, which in no way, shape, or form referred to the original model. Not from a law perspective, not from a gameplay perspective, not from a visual perspective. In so many different ways, that just didn't fit. So it's basically a, a, a slot that wasn't used, effectively, isn't it? Um, it's just it's just a process where yeah. I mean obviously this is just like I mean, in some ways when I approach writing sometimes things are an organic process sometimes you do just sit down and go okay right crack the knuckles let's see what comes out and on this particular occasion it was a miss it was something where swing and a miss we you know needed more editing needs to be that in the same way that there's a few Ball stories that have ended up on the cutting room floor and for you know large parts of them like the original were beginnings for Corsair and Flint um, is a great example those ones have never, have never seen the light of day because they just didn't fit what the character became. And I, and I think that the important thing to pick up on there is, you know, we're all learning this, you know, every time, like we say, every time we've done these seminars, we've tried to approach it in a different way. And what mm-hmm. we learn from that is what works and what doesn't. And Sherwin's right, you can't point the finger. You know, maybe we didn't communicate or understand clearly mm-hmm. enough where our boundaries needed to be to enable that process to be as successful as it could be. And in the same way that there is stories that have never seen the light of day, there are versions of characters, which we have, we have given honest amounts of energy and effort into, and then looked at and said, this is not working. We need, we need a new sculpt and that might be a tweak or it might be a from the ground rebuild. And Mm. um, that that's happened right up until the most recent guilds. There's, there's, there's usually a problem player that needs a, a, a fresh pair of eyes and sometimes we will just tear it down and start again because we don't believe in the sunk investment fallacy we believe in making sure that what we're putting out is what we can put out to the best of our abilities and if it needs to be pulled down and started again even if it doesn't feel like a, a the right or popular choice we will do it yeah and i think the uh, the other thing to go with on that as well is anybody who was at either of those two seminars this year will very will remember I gave a very thanks, frank speech. There's both of them sort of explaining, okay, guys, so with all due respect, if we decide we're going to have some fun with this and we're going to muck around and not necessarily, you know, again, come up with a process, we're not going to really follow the process and we're going to try and troll people, then the thing that really sucks is probably going to end up with unusable models again. So let's have some respect for what it is. Let's not, especially with the Entertainers Guild, there's, there's immediately this idea of, oh, let, let, let's spoof things. Let's make this kind of idea of a spoof character who's falling over all the time or something like that that's a model that immediately never gets made because 
It's an interesting one that we had, for example, when it came to um, the Free Cities draft, sidestepping. There was a lot of discussion about Flea. Everyone going, oh, no one wants Flea. Flea's going to be the bottom of the pile. Flea's going to be a rubbish player. There's no reason why. Everyone's going to get a good player. That, we're not going to punish any particular guild by giving them a bad player because they were last in the draft. They just don't get any say as to what player they get. Um, having gone through some of the design for some of the rookies today with some of the rest of the design team, my God, Hunters will probably be a little bit upset they didn't get Flea after all. Um, because again, Flea is a really, really good player who has a lot of synergy with you know animal types, that sort of stuff. And I'm not really dropping any spoilers here. We already talked about it in the Three Cities Draft seminars, and we already talked about that in scouting reports and everything else. Um, these are all ideas that kind of you know percolate around, and they're just part of the process. So and that's it. Can you say are there any rookies you're looking forward to quite a lot now? You talked about all of them. All, all of them. them. However, mm. that said. Uh, from the perspective that I am, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to all of them. Having seen the rules for the ones I've seen, they all look, they all look really, really awesome. I mean, they're, they're tremendous. Um, that said, I think the engineer player in me really wants to see Nomad because I'm an engineer player, and that's pretty much the last major guild I play these days. So, I just fear for that poor, poor um, rookie going anywhere near Pinvice, really. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so. Go back to the seminar then. Uh, it was yeah, interesting because, sure. um, you know, in theory, that's what we're here to talk about, in theory at least. So hmm. um, the idea was to have a sort of a shark who was kind of a dancer slash acrobat, wasn't it? Hmm. Yes. Acrobat was our main focus. We we had an idea that, again, we thought we talked about how the best way to focus on, you know, who Shark is as a character, how, you know, what he represents, you know, how an outsider might see him, that sort of stuff. And we had this very, and virtually every single group came together with this idea of actually the Shark we want to see is the one that focuses on this very flashy, very acrobatic, um, very nimble kind of character dancing around the pitch and between their opponents, not necessarily actually a dancer, but you know what I mean? Very sort of, you know, agile, very lithe kind of dancing around different players kind of, you know, sort of um, exactly as we see shark, lots of dodges, um, lots of fantastically acrobatic kind of movement, you know, flipping over their heads and all that sort of stuff. Hence where we came to with shark. We, we said, well, you know, what better? Well, we don't want to have a shark who fights anything. That's not really part of the core character. And that's not really part of what this character will be. So how about the spear is actually a, you know, a pole they used to vault over the top of people's heads and therefore give more dynamicism to what the movement is, you know, long tassels, for example, attached to them. So, you know, streaming hair, that sort of stuff, it all fits into what the character is. It's kind of taking the character and pushing a lot of elements of that design up to 11, pushing it really off far into sort of thing, saying this character is even more dynamic, he's even more fluid than what Shark is because that's who they're emulating. Because we're, we're focusing on that one element of Shark. We're not, we're not just making a new Shark. We're taking that one flavour um, out of the sort of uh, delightful cake that is Shark. We're taking that one, one ingredient. We can push that ingredient past where normally you would because we're not putting the other elements in and it's 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 really interesting to to be able to do that yeah i was about to say something very, very similar actually in terms of it's interesting what part of a character people focus on mm. uh, because also is the character's personality linked to their rules on the pitch or linked to their personality how they're written because obviously shark's quite a sort of icy person isn't, isn't he in um kind of an un- unwilling captain in the fluff and um obviously in the in the game he's very influence hungry and big goal scorer um, as well as being very dodgy it was, it was well, interesting I, what I, aspect people sort of focused on yeah I think in in our story Shark is just a uh, Shark is a character who you know um, the, the common tongue of the Empire of the Three Cities is not his first language 
he's not a great team player on the basis he can't effectively communicate with the rest of his team. We know this much. Um, you know, he is appointed to captain in season one. Not, I wouldn't necessarily say unwillingly. It's not something where he refuses, but it's a surprise certainly to the captain. He's, you know, the union effectively order him to be captain, and Laurentis kind of, you know, um, goes along with it purely because of the pressure that's been put upon him. But the idea is, is that you know, the, our version of Shark. He's not mute, but he certainly doesn't speak much. And, you know, whether that's social anxiety or embarrassment or something along those lines, you know, TBD. But he, that, that's really a focus, an element of the character, which I don't think we necessarily we focus on that. But we do focus on this idea of the super solo when it comes to the sort of design perspective. And again, the visuals for Shark are so strong. And I think that really works, especially when you think about, you know, how Shark might be portrayed on a stage somewhere along the way. Because that's exactly the sort of thing that you would imagine an actor does. Uh, they would be bouncing around all over, all over the place, off the walls, being the most fluid player in the game. There's there's a really interesting um, secondary element to that, which is, um, you know, Andrew, you just said, oh, he's quite icy. And then Sherwin's explained the context for that. But you've covered what his public perception is. And of course, what's going to happen with the Entertainers Guild is they're going to play up to the public perception. So they're going to mm. play the caricature, not in a cartoonish way, but they're going to play the the version of the world that the effectively the free cities media presents not necessarily what's going on inside that person's head so that's another interesting twist on where we take it we're seeing Mm. an outsider's view of what they think is happening inside that character's brain and that's exactly true for Blackheart as well. If you look at that because obviously the the perception of Blackheart is that Blackheart is a tyrant. He is this character that everyone is afraid of. Most of them they just know this legend of this this terrible figure that you know terrorizes the sea and is kind of everyone is afraid of. They probably don't know the exact deeds he's done. There's just this rumor of don't cross Blackheart that sort of stuff. You know he's a legend in the well not a good one an infamy. Um, but the point is is that so you can see actually the stage inversion of well now Blackheart is this actually rather charming or actually this kind of very detached child figure that's almost an inversion perhaps the end and the entertainers take and i'm not sure that's the route we'll go these are all characters yet to really be explored in terms of any fiction but an interesting concept it would be to take that black heart character and go it's the tyrant but almost you know that's that could almost easily be a spoof that they do have a a black heart who turns up on the stage dragging a massive sword of a sock puppet coin and sort of you know talking to people i'm the tyrant and everyone going yeah, of course you are of course, you're the scary tyrant that we're all afraid of. No one actually believing that sort of thing. There's lots of different angles we can take this. Well, if anything else, I mean, the Entertainers Guild are the media, aren't they? They can do an absolute hack job on someone if they wanted to, couldn't they? Yeah, we had this interesting conversation at SteamCon as to which one of the captains would be uh, SteamCon UK this is. If, if you were to have this in, you know, uh, in real life, which one of these captain figures would actually be upset you know that they are getting spoofed by this or which one of these characters would feel offended that they aren't getting spoofed and i think both answers came back as midas uh which was something yeah <laughs> <laughs> like I, you can almost imagine midas sort of you know having a real stomp and a strop because well no one's no one's spoofing me you know why are they not spoofing me i'm really important and of course as soon as someone does he'll be like well that's not me and immediately taking massive amounts of offense but there we are was it a deliberate, reason, a deliberate attempt, uh, a reason to do the season one captains only because they're the first ones and more well-known ones? Because they're the first. I think, sort of, yeah, so. I think I think that's it. I mean, that one you'd need to speak to uh, Jamie Perkins on. Um, that's when we had the conversation. That was very much something Jamie wanted to push, and I'm not going to argue with that. They are our most well-known and established captains in the game, despite the other fact that the others have been around for a bit of time. That's for lots of people. 
when they think about our guilds, they do think about those first season one captains. Yeah, fair. So. So when they um, when the uh, model was being designed and people were sort of focusing upon it being a dancer and lots of rules ideas flying around, it then came to us to sculpt it. Mm-hmm. We we're, were being asked to sort of focus on and sort of decide which key aspects of shark to keep, um, like the shoulder pad or the arm, the glove fish yeah. thing or the spear. And absolutely, and this is uh, you know we chatted earlier about sort of the idea of sharing assets and moving stuff around. This is a really good example of where you can do this in a really interesting way so um again with the limited time that we had um i needed to hit a couple of big beats and then uh sort of fill fill in around them if you like um to try and to try and capture some essence of what what our final model might look like so you know the the three things that i was looking to achieve with the model was a sense of movement um, like in the hair and with the ribbons that we discussed, a sense of sort of weightlessness with uh, the, the kind of leaping on the pole um, to sort of reflect those rules ideas that people have been discussing. And then this idea that this character was, if not dressed as shark, you know, as a, in, in a sort of cosplay way, was wearing kind of shark signifier props so although it's it's a little difficult to see because we've rendered you know when we rendered the model we rendered it in a in a particular color um because uh, uh, as a brewer's minor it gets rendered in brewer's yellow but um some of the some of the uh, technical tricks that I was able to to pull off was I was able to take I went all the way back to the original shark kickstarter sculpt and I took the shoulder pad apart and made a effectively a belt uh and um uh, sort of chest plate out of the shoulder pads so the shark's teeth and shark jaws are on the model but used in a different way and then I kept the shark fish glove because I love the shark fish glove I think it's absolutely gloriously ridiculous um, <laughs> so she's wearing the shark fish glove and I brought across all of the fish hooks that shark has in his hair in his plaits and made sure we incorporated that into her outfit and then a piece that I don't think anyone will have noticed because it's quite subtle, but I took the original Kickstarter shark and uh, in a slightly grisly way, I sliced his face off, Whoa. Re- <laughs> <laughs> removed his eyes, and then applied a there's a a polish function that basically crisps and sharpens edges and gives everything a strangely artificial and mechanical appearance. And by applying that to the face a couple of times, it basically ended up looking like a carved mask of shark's face. So it's shark's face, but all the features are slightly altered so that they have this artificiality a bit like how, um, you know, the sort of Kabuki masks and, and all the, the masks that some traditional samurai uh, helmets have where all of the features have got that slightly artificial exaggerated edge to them. Um, and so the mask that she's carrying in her hand that she's holding just below her chin. So it looks like she just slide it up over her face is pretty much exactly shark's face just slightly altered to have this artificial air so it's like it's those sorts of little touches that probably don't they're not they they probably don't get conveyed very well when you're looking at it up on a screen but when you get the model in your hand and you've got the time to spend some time with it those sorts of smaller elements will come through and you'll appreciate them and you know this is 
I'm not designing models to be shown on a screen. I'm designing models for people to hold in their hands and paint and put on the table. So I'm trying to think about things that will give you the most sort of entertainment value, if you pardon the pun, um, when you've got the figure in that context. So is holding masks kind of a entertainer's guild signifier that sort of thing ties them all together? Because I guess it's hard to have common ID for models in a guild where they're all meant to look different. Yeah, so certainly it's something we've talked about and it's something we're playing with. And I feel like we, we keep making this point, but it's really important to stress that this is a guild that's still in early development and we are we are trying out things to see what works. But I certainly feel that the idea of theatre masks is an... It's a, I wouldn't say it was obvious, but it's a logical, it feels right as a as a design choice to tie the guild together. And it might be one that we go with. It might be one of several that we go with, or we might end up using something else. But right now, it's certainly something that I like as a concept and I want to explore further. Um, brilliant. So, Shark was created and everyone cheered. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Everyone was very, very happy with Shark. I think so. It's, it's interesting for Guild Idea to... Uh, to get created in the way because of the challenge it presents. Um, it's all what we're saying is interesting, things I'm not having that. I'm going to do it myself. I'm sure it's hard for you lot to do. Um, but certainly in terms of a guild that is meant to sort of emulate play styles of different characters, um, the end product will be very interesting to see uh, whenever we see it. And I guess, as I said before, it's quite early in, early in development yet, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, I mean, for me as a sculptor, of, like, so I'm only, you know... I. I'm lucky I don't have to think about the rules. I just have to think about what they're going to look like. And I think that for me, this is one of the most challenging and also therefore the most exciting guilds that we've talked about in such a while, because it's got to balance more design factors than a lot of the guilds we've worked on previously, because it has to feel like a minor guild that ties to its major, has to feel like its own thing. And it has to also be able to signify which of those players are being represented. So I'm really excited to, um, you know, to crack the code on this one. I think it's going to be really, really good fun for us. Unfortunately, all you have to do is make it look pretty, and then they, so the, you know, game design people can do all the rules, can't they? Exactly, yeah. Easy. I that. <laughs> no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. If anything, <laughs> I'd, I'd actually say, for me, actually, weirdly, this is the, uh, this is the easiest uh, minor guild I suspect I'll do because I just need to uh, talk about fables, uh, which we all know anyway, of who these characters are. So rather than having to make six new individuals um, and create you know, them as a feasible character who feels distinct from the stable of, well, many, many characters we already have, um, but at the same time not feeling like a cliche or not feeling like it's an archetype I've stolen from somewhere too much anyway. Um, this In this case, it's just a, it's a much more simpler role. So I think... Funnily enough, on this spin, as much as the dev team and the rest of the dev team, they are tremendous individuals. They know exactly how they're doing their job. So I know they're looking forward to this as much as Russ has just mentioned. Um, and as much as Russ and Doug as well, both will have their work cut out for them. I think I've probably got the slightly easier run on this one. That's fine. Um, yeah, I can I could do a break from making yet another sort of, you know, completely new six characters. I'm not sure we've ever, we give Sherman enough credit because I make pretty models and people write rules. Creating nearly 200 distinct and recognisable personalities and voices, like, that's that's some Game of Thrones level <laughs> right there. That's well, some schizophrenic <sighs> thinking, sure. 46 minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. That's some Game of Thrones level <laughs> stuff right there. <laughs> just loop that one in, it'll be fine. <laughs> I'll bleep it, it's fine. I'll sound bitter about it afterwards, it's okay. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I guess also for the Entertainers Guild, it would be quite easy to work out what two characters cross over from the Brewers Guild because only two are going to survive. <laughs> I mean, that's one way of looking at it. The fashion um, scum. They just stuff them. <laughs> the ones Ross, you can't tell them. Oh, oh spoilers. Spoiler warning. Well, the Mashable one, one came out on Monday. It's now Thursday, so, you know. Yeah, well, on the plus side, yeah, we've got another couple of Brewer Mondays yet to happen. It's all good times. Hmm. Um, I'm very much enjoying the engagement I'm getting Brewer, Brewer Mondays, players. That's how cool, um, is it? <laughs> Brewer Mondays is it. It's, uh, Mondays is Brewer story time. Esther's favourite song is It's Gonna Be Lonely This Christmas. Oh! <laughs> I assume she makes it to Christmas. That's true. <laughs> uh, I like... I like um, <laughs> I like how um, some of the Alchemist Guild players were salty that Venin screwed up his his um, sort of attack run. It's like he wouldn't screw it up. It's like how do you know he plays football? He's not a professional assassin, <laughs> you know. It's like it's, football. The, it's funny enough. The Venin character um, <clears throat> of all the stories of season four, that was the one that came up with came up with the editor when we came back. Uh, there was a lot of conversation of well, why is Venin doing this job? Why is he, why is he trying to be an assassin when he's clearly a bumbling idiot? You know, why why what what's the origin of this character, or what? How does he fit into this particular role? And we ultimately came back with this idea of well, Venin is this young character who we know this from when we've seen him in season two. He's filled with this kind of bile towards a lot of the establishment and certain characters like Midas, and he's got this very much this big resentment going on over a lot of things. And he's he's a typical kind of younger guy who kind of thinks you know what well, i can take on the world i know everything i'm like you know i'm i'm yeah i've got to major i'm a man now i know exactly what the way the world works i know how i'm going to fit in with this other idea and we already have see we already have ideas of that already seeded in season four in the failed assassination run um the failure story where he is he knows he's hopelessly out of his depth like he finds himself sneaking his mouth has talked him into this thing where hang on a minute i'm sneaking through the shadow council chambers like these are the most important people in the entire world I'm going to kill one of them. I have no idea how I'm going to do that and get out and not and still be anonymous and get away with this. And he's just managed to talk himself into this horrible situation because he knows, well, if I fail, my masters will be very displeased with me. That's probably death as well. So he knows he's got a very, very low possibility of success on this one. But of course, you know, he's got himself in that mess. And, um, yeah, I think that's, it was an interesting one to cover. We had to do a couple of runs on editing to kind of get that character across. So it's interesting. The Alchemist Guilds aren't really having a great time of it, are they, at the moment, it seems? I don't know. I think the Alchemists aren't doing terribly so bad. They're, they're, they're one of those guilds that kind of went through a transitionary period after uh, after the failure in Season 2. And But I think they're more or less sort of turned the corner now. Midas is back. Midas is spending a lot of money with the guild to kind of get people back on board. He's kind of floating a lot of people like Mercury, who've kind of really fallen out of favour. And of course, we have a doomsday cult forming with Vitriol, who's kind of built this idea around Catalyst as this sort of saint, this very twisted kind of idea of what a saint could be. That's sort of a new, new thing. So there's a new religion almost coming out of that one. There's some interesting concepts happening there. What's the deal with the other captains, like um, Smoke and stuff? Are they going to make an appearance well, or- yeah, I think so. I mean, Smoke is Smoke's an interesting one because she really gets put in power by Calculus, and then obviously that really results in Calculus and Smoke both taking the fall for absolute failure. And as a result, we can see that the Alchemist Guild hits a very low ebb. They've not got much influence. They've not got much ability to. Uh, they've not got much capital. They're they're very only on the cusp of being a major guild still anyway. When they first when we first meet them, let alone now, so they're really struggling with things and. Um, it's not so much the alchemists, the high, higher, the high council of the alchemists have kicked smoke out. It's more so much the fact that Midas has come back and given them a vision and said, 
I will lead us back to glory. And as a result, Smoke finds herself pretty much on the outside looking in, but as a result of that, especially with the fact that, and there's your spoiler if you need it, but there's, there's the, the relationship between Calculus and Smoke is no more. So we don't have this this same thing where, um, you know, they're a unified kind of power couple. I don't remember who someone described them as the world's like as the Gilbert world's power couple. They're certainly no longer that. They're now split up, and they are now these two. You know, Smoke is this very much on the outside um, kind of figure. Especially in her season four story, we see, uh, sorry, season three story, we see her this very lovelorn kind of character she's she's very upset that calculus seems to have spurned her she's still totally in love with the character um you know she already talks about me you know, i have seen the few you know i have i thought i could have gone i could have gone with somebody else but i didn't because you know i'm really into calculus still even if she does spurn me so it's it's a tough one it's um she's certainly having a rough time of it i think the alchemist guild themselves are in a global sense are sort of starting back on the rise again um brilliant and i guess we'll find out more tomorrow in the next episode of um, uh, well, it depends. When are you putting this out? Later on tonight? Uh, probably. Okay, so tomorrow isn't going to be an alchemist story. Tomorrow is going to be an order story. Ooh, there we are. If you manage to hear the episode before that comes out, you'll hear not really a spoiler. Just <laughs> 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 a vague nod in the direction of the story. There you are. Some podcasts have spoilers. This one has a vague nod in a certain direction. There we are. And on that bombshell, <laughs> do you have anything else to say today? I think we're about done, aren't we? I think so. Uh, I will just want to say thank Jason for his uh, his silent support. He's been a real rock during this episode. He has. A cool contributor. There's been, been a bit of Jason in all of us. Yeah. As it were. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, follow me at singled underscore at GB. Uh, follow Sherwin at Sherwin's Agenda. Boom. And follow Russ at... Oh, I can't remember Russ's... Twitter handle. I'm I'm literally having to log on to Twitter to find <laughs> out my own Twitter handle. Go to one of us. Look for who for, yeah who Russell we follow. Russ underscore Charles. underscore Charles. Which you know why why I, I can't remember that. Who well, knows? you have you have nearly four thousand nearly four thousand followers now. Russ, you big deal now. Oh my god, I do. So that's all that critical role, isn't it? It's the critical role, people. Yeah, that's a big deal. On big the deal now. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on. It's been great. Have Thank a good time. you for having us. Have a great time and uh, Merry Christmas, one and all. Ho ho ho. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>